Hey, Jacob. Yeah? When I say pod, you say cast. Pod. Pod. I mean, cast. Pod. Oh, oh, even is... five hours of rehearsal didn't get us to do that properly. It's, it's so frustrating um, that the audience can't see the choreographed dance piece that I had for that. But you. Yeah, you we're just, both wearing leotards. Yeah, you just did a backflip, which is insane. I landed on my own head. Yeah. And the audio was just fine. It wasn't interrupted at all by that. Yeah. You're a true professional, Jacob. <laughs> and the pod must go on. So how 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 are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. My neck's a bit sore after <laughs> that, but um, yeah, no, all good. Can't complain. Well, as my mum would always say, have you tried Sudacrem? Sudacrem, the the cream, or as we used to call it, Sudacrem which I later found out is actually pronounced wrong. Oh, I think uh, that's sorry, what we mum. called it as well. Yeah, sorry, mum. It's actually called Sudacrem. Um, but it's the, yeah, it's the cure-all um, cream that fixes everything. So maybe if you rub some Sudacrem on your neck, should be all right. This episode of Careers Mate is sponsored by <laughs> Sudacrem. And if you use our code, <laughs> PODDYBOYS, at checkout, you'll get 10% off your first order of Sudacrem. <laughs> oh, other creams are available. Um, when I was younger, my dad always used to call the shop Lidl. And I always thought that was normal. And it was one of them until you say it in front of a group of friends and you go, oh, I've just been to Lidl. And they go, what? It's called Lidl? What? That's mental that you're calling it that? Um, and then I had to go back to my dad and say, um, dad, it's actually called uh, Lidl. And, um, and to this day, he still calls it Lidl in protest. So. I've heard someone call it Lidl before. I think the yeah. actual German way to pronounce it is Lidl. Like... Uh... <laughs> Like that bit in SpongeBob when Patrick goes lead, 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 lead. <laughs> or that bit at the end of Scarface. What? When he says, say hello to my little friend. <laughs> and it's funny that you mentioned that because this podcast is also sponsored by Lidl. <laughs> and Scarface. And Scarface. And Tony Montana. Um, yeah, we finally got the sponsors coming through, guys. <laughs> Um, so, <laughs> um, should we should we tell everyone about our wonderful guest? Um, yeah, no, ooh, <laughs> no, yes. <laughs> okay, well, our legal guest for this episode is our legal friend Abby Edwards. Abby, we know from uni. Abby is a teaching assistant, and alongside that, does stand up comedy as well, and. If you've got nothing else to say, Jacob, which I hope you don't, because I can't stand the sound of your voice, shall we move on to the episode? Abby? Yes? Welcome to the Careers Med Podcast, Abby. How are you feeling? I'm feeling very excited, Jordan. How are you feeling? I'm I'm very happy. I'm very good um, and happy and glad that you're here and happy that I'm chatting to you. Um, so there was a life before teaching. There was. And we want to explore that a bit more in great detail, if that's okay with you. 
Yes. Thanks. <laughs> Cheers. Um, so what did you want to be when you were a little kid? What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, when I was kind of, I've always wanted to do something with writing. When I was really little, I always wanted to be an author. That was like my main thing. When I was about, yeah, when I was about six, that's when I decided I wanted to be an author and an illustrator, illustrate my own books. When I was um, nine or 10, I tried to write a children's book. And in hindsight, I really had the worst message. It was called, it was called Horace the Hippo. And it was about this hippo who lives at London Zoo and he gets bullied for being fat. Then I include the backstory, which is like his trauma of why he is fat. And it's almost implied in the book that without that trauma, if he was just fat, then the bullying would be justified. It's like, no, 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 but there's a reason. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that he's fat because he was in a swamp and nearly starved to death. Well, surely there's a reason this phase fat is that he's a hippo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's a fat hippo or he's just, is he, is he a normal sized hippo or is he? I was drawing him normal to be fair. I was drawing <laughs> standard hippo. <laughs> Have you only and, just uh, realised now that? It doesn't make any sense. He's bullied by Zoe's a zebra and she says and she says horrible things and then and then he sits up late at night and he makes a plan that he's going to bully them back um in order to be <laughs> free of the bullying. So he like marches in the next day. It's a really short book. He marches in the next day and he's like, Luke's a lion, you have a bald patch. And then everyone's like, Oh, we don't like how it feels when people are people make fun of us. So so we're not going to make fun of you anymore, Horace. And then they have a party, the end. And I really thought at the time, I was like, this is like a, such a good lesson for children. Fighting fire with fire. Yeah, making people scared of you, you know, make people fear you. And then I drew it all and I showed it to my dad really. I, my, I was so proud. I, I did it all in one night. I was really like, oh, I, I want to write a story on the Apple Mac. So like, I wrote, I wrote it all down, printed it off, drew the pictures, showed my dad. And he very, it's only like six pages long. It's a really short story. And then he went, ah, a story of plot and revenge. <laughs> and that's, <all. laughs> that's, that's really all he had to say about it. So... Did that want to be a, an author? Did that carry on throughout school or did it change a lot as you got older? Well, there was a brief, when I was about eight, I wanted to be a pop star because um, I was big into Hannah Montana, but that was, um, that was brief. So brief interlude of wanting to be a pop star and then back on the writing. Yeah, I wanted to write um, books and then throughout, when it was secondary school, oh, here's my origin story. In year nine, we did a, we did a module on comedy writing and I was like, are we going to watch stand-up? Because I've, I've seen all of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and we were watching clips of like Michael McIntyre and I was like, oh, I know this one, this one's about this and this. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, this was when we were 13 and I'd really started getting into stand-up. I watched it first when I think I was 11. My mum had like put on the mandra bit about by Michael McIntyre and you know when you first watch stand-up and you don't really understand it, so you're like, so they're just making this up off the top of their heads. That's, <laughs> that's magic. And then I would watch all of the clips of um, Michael McIntyre's Comedy Roadshow, and then I'd watch so much that I'd see the routines come up again, and I was like, oh, okay, they're writing it. <laughs> and But when it came up, I was like, you know, this is the Mandra one they're going to make, this joke, and then everyone's kind of like, 
why do you? Because <laughs> no one else had really seen stand up because we're 13 and nobody cared. But we had to write different comedic rants. And I wrote it about Ikea. And I got and I got a very good mark. And um, and then I was very much and this is such this paints me in such a bad way. All I ever want it used to happen in primary school as well in English. All I ever wanted was just for my work to be read out. Um, well, they used to just be like, and a very good example was um, Abigail's. Um, Abigail, do you would you, would you mind if I read it out? I was like, oh, go on. It was so <laughs> go on, read it out, and everyone to hear the work I've done. Which now I'm saying that it is essentially that is what you do stand up for. You've written something, yeah. and now you want to read it out. You want everyone to go. That was very good. <laughs> what you wrote and, and, and when it was being read out did you kind of go like put your head in your hands like kind of go oh this is embarrassing like yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i'd go oh okay if you must and then i'd be like yes god what a rush <laughs> and, <laughs> and then yeah we, this happened in year nine so yeah i'm 13 or 14 it's where, it's where i learned the rule of three I, I found my book and i've got annotated like exaggeration like comedic um comedic devices exaggeration rule of three and stuff like that and i'm like mm, still still come in handy to this day mm. and we had to do it it was like a mock exam so we did it in the hall like a gcse exam but we were writing a comedic rant and i decided to write it about ikea and then i got a very good mark on it i was so happy because i really tried hard and i wanted it to be good and then yeah she read it out and i got I got a few titters from people who I knew did not like me. So that was a big, that was a yeah. big win for me. So they had to overcome that reluctance to laugh. That kind of, God, she's so arrogant. I really yeah, yeah, dislike yeah. her. She's such a tryhard. See, I don't, that's interesting you say that because for as long as I've known you, I've not felt any arrogance coming off of you. Thank you. I don't know whether I was arrogant. When I was at school, I just, especially in English, also at that age, kind of in everything, basically my friendships were not going so well. Um, I was kind of bullied throughout secondary school. Um, so outside of lessons, I was having quite a difficult time. I was always quite anxious to, for, for break time. So I was in a lot of clubs, you know, I was like, where am I going to, what what am I going to do? It was always a little bit turbulent. So in, in class, because I, I was always quite good at school, I was like, I'm just going to be, I'm going to enjoy lessons. I'm going to enjoy learning. But that meant that, you know, I'm putting my hand up for every question. You know, I'm in like, like, you know, this is when a lot, like we didn't have a set for English because when you're in sets, everyone cares as much as you. So if you're in like the top set, everyone is also like that. So you're not being annoying. Everyone's being annoying. But I was in like a mixed set with people who, you know, with some people who were like, I hate English stop trying to like win English you know mm. so I think in that way I might have come across as a bit arrogant just because I was always trying so hard and I always wanted to get the best mark in the class and then when it got to GCSE I'd kind of um I'd kind of realized that that was um not making me popular and also why was I doing it like what was what was it for really it wasn't really for anything so I kind of um stopped being so like no I want I want because my parents didn't care either I'd be like I got the best mark in the class and they'd be like okay like they which is good because it's not a good um thing to care so much about but I'd be like I got I got the best in the class I got better than everyone and they'd go okay I mean just as long as you're trying your best 
It sounds like a healthy attitude for your parents to have, though. Yeah, I think so. Um, so. Oh, yeah. Where... So with writing. So I did that. And then I was like, maybe I want to write comedic things. Maybe I want to write like opinion columns. And then for a while, I wanted to be an opinion columnist. And my dad would frequently tell me that Prince was dead. <laughs> and what, what age were you at that point? Like 15, 16. Okay, so we're GCSE, we're going into A-level at that point, yeah. And then in sixth form, I started doing a blog where I would do like opinion column-esque pieces, whatever, like just write little things that I thought were kind of funny, but more like an opinion column, whilst secretly harboring a desire to write stand-up. But I was like, no, I couldn't possibly tell anyone because they'd be like, (laughs) well, guess what, Abby, you're not funny okay so <laughs> get back in your hole and write your essays it was like a little shameful secret that I was like I'm so into stand-up comedy but then this is what I think is nice is that I remember for a long time at sick form my like ultimate dream in life ever would be to perform stand-up comedy once I thought like that is what I would love to do eventually like just do it once because I really thought I'm never gonna write anything like it. I don't know where I'm gonna do it I'm, and I don't think I'll ever feel like I could do it. And then so sometimes I think, you know, even if I'm like, oh, how's comedy going? It's not going great. I'm like, well, I used to think it was, I used to think it would be impossible for me to have even done it once, let alone like hundreds of times, you know? So it must have been quite a moment then when, because when you're at university, was that the first time you did stand up? Yeah. And that must have been quite a moment then when you actually did it for the first time. It was. And you know what? That was the day of the winter ball and I had so convinced myself that it was going to go so badly and I was going to be devastated and just want to die that everyone I knew was going to the winter ball and I didn't buy a ticket because I thought well I'm just going to be so sad and so um upset because the stand-up will have gone so badly really? that I that that I just wow. won't want to go so why would I buy the ticket and then it went so well and I was so happy and I was so like elated I was like I can't believe I did it it went well I was so 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 anxious to do it and then I just had to sit in my uni we went to the pub for a couple but then afterwards I just sat in my uni kitchen and ate the worst frozen roast beef <laughs> dinner I've ever had in my life and just ate that and thought well I did stand up so that's that's nice <laughs> so when you were in Southampton Comedy Society and when you were president after we graduated what was the stand-up scene like in the society and um and what was the deal with stand-up basically um yeah so I, I wanted to do more stand-up and yeah it was mostly sketch I I was mostly interested in stand-up like the first year I was there we just did the Freshers show and also Chortle and it was just those two oh no and there was stand-up at the comedy fridge so there were three times but you know but then because it was so infrequent it meant that every time I was as anxious as I had been previously like before the Chortle one which was the second gig I'd ever done. I got so stressed, I actually gave myself a migraine. I had to be sick twice before I went on, just because it was like, that's how nerve-wracking it was when it wasn't something that you're doing quite a lot. And um, so we got this message um, about, oh yeah, so we got we, we got this message from The Hobbit about like, would you be interested in doing something? And then... Um, 
it kind of because I was only the social sec, but I was also stand up captain. Um, so it kind of became my um, responsibility as stand up captain. But because I was like so keen on it, um, it became like the main thing that like we were doing because we went, we did the first one. Um, there were about 40, no, maybe 30 people there. It was pretty good. Um, it was on the 8th of May and um, it was mostly people from my flat, like my kind of halls. They were, and the first year they'd come to everything. I remember the first time we did the Freshers Stand Up and there were about maybe eight people there. And then you popped your head in, Jacob, and you were like, there's a group of about 20 people here. And they came in and I thought, they can't be for the stand-up. And they said, is it the stand-up? And I was like, yep, that'll be everyone from my halls. <laughs> and yeah, so um, we did it and it we did it on a Tuesday and it was successful. And then we did it, we decided to do it every month. The second one, I think we had about 110 people that I counted like you couldn't actually fit them in the room. We'd have a few tables at the front and then the whole back of the room would be standing and people would kind of filter in and out because it was so packed. But I think it was definitely the thing I was most proud of at uni is that it was like, you know, we put a lot of effort in. We'd have stand up and improv and then all the acts would get a free drink. And and yeah, it was it was good. It was it was definitely definitely did that more than my degree um is try and organize that whole that comedy night but i it was my favorite thing in third year before it was um covid and we all had to go home i did this um all female um stand up and improv night which was i i was like i feel like i've really achieved something because i was like i've kind of got enough girls into the society and and kind of hyped enough girls up to do stand up because I I've always had this I've always correct me if I'm wrong I've always had this belief that I think all men are born with the kind of innate thoughts that they would probably be good at stand up <laughs> uh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> whereas all girls because I felt like you know you get a lot of a lot of very 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 funny boys in comedy but also some boys who it's like, yeah, you're okay. And then there are a lot of girls who I think you're, you're so funny. I think you're funnier than some of these people who are absolutely gagging to get on stage. They'll go on stage right now. They'll go on stage having not written anything. And yet you don't think you're good enough to do it, but you are so good. Um, so I'd really try and like be like, no, please, please just do it for me. Cause I think you're going to be so good. And yeah, maybe I push. Sometimes I'm like, I think maybe I was a bit like, you have to, you have to do stand up, you have to. But um, yeah, eventually we got it so that so many of the girls like had done stand up before that they were like, yeah, I'll do, I'll do. And there was, and there were enough girls to do improv, just girl improv. Um, and we did that at this bookshop ale house, and there was barely anyone from uni because I think it was like it was more of a bar that like kind of early 20s like mid 20s people went to because I, I there were like kind of no familiar faces in there um that was even though even though the mic didn't really work because I was, I was using something I was using bad mic but it was it was good and I was like wow it's like we've got enough we've got enough girls in the society now that it's not like okay we've got one girl in the first half and one girl in the second half we need some more girls to balance it out it was like, yeah, we got whole we got enough for like a whole lineup, which I was I was very happy about. Do you find that 
when you did stand up um because you said you were really stressed about it but obviously uh you know everyone who does performing has to be able to feel that and then go up and perform anyway did you find that you were able to put a lid on it when you got up on stage the first time or well I used to do this bit where I would play um the me theme on the melodica as the beginning of my set and I did that I I put that in because I wanted to be able to get a laugh before I started speaking because I thought like if I stumble over my first joke or my introduction then everyone will have no confidence in me and then it will start going badly I was like where is this I know I can play this I'm not gonna mess this up doing this so I can come on do that get a few laughs doing that and then I kind of feel like I've I've kind of warmed the crowd up for myself so that's how I when I was always so nervous that is kind of how I planned it out it's obviously risky because obviously when a lot of the time when people are nervous, they'll hyperventilate. And if you're, if you've got a melodica in your mouth, that's going to amplify that. <laughs> well, also it kind of became like my um, kind of persona almost um, yeah, yeah, unintentionally. I Once I was doing, oh, was it this? Oh yeah. It was, um, I was on the, I was on BBC Radio 4 Extra because the BBC Comedy Awards that they now do on TV used to be on BBC Radio 4 Extra, and I got through to the heat. I was so unbelievably nervous because it was it was the biggest I'd ever performed to. This was like, I'd only been doing stand-up for properly like a year. Um, I'd only done maybe like 20 or so gigs, and I was it was in a theatre of 350, and it was going on the radio. I was so, so, so nervous. And then afterwards, someone was saying to me, they were like, oh, I really liked your set. I liked your kind of manic persona. And my friend that I had brought with me just laughed. And he went, that's just what she's like. That is just who she is. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. My character. (laughs) (laughs) So when you finish university, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the thing that I think a lot of us did was we thought, well, none of us can step straight out of university into being a comedian or a writer or whatever. We've got to earn a living in the meantime. Uh, was teaching something that you were like thinking of before university, like that's something I might want to do, like if I change my mind about writing or whatever, or that's like a secondary thing that I'm interested in anyway, or was it something that you came to thinking about while you were at uni or or how did that come about? Absolutely not. I thought, I always said, I never <laughs> want to do teaching. Everyone would go, you're doing an English degree. Do you want to be a teacher? And I'd go, no. <laughs> and I was really, I was really anti-teaching. The only reason I got into it was because I just couldn't get a job. My um, Two of my friends who you know um, were moving to London. They all know they already had a flat in London. Their lease was up in August. So they said to me and two of my other friends, right, if you want to move in with us and have a house for five, you need to move in at the start of August because, well, if not, we're going to have to get two beds somewhere. So it was like graduated, well, like handed everything in. And then it was like, okay, now I've got about two months to get a job in London. And um, it was just that I was just really getting nowhere with anything except signing up for some education agencies where you're kind of agency teaching assistant 
So it was, it was, I just did that because I needed any job. I was applying for cafe jobs, events, organization, writing stuff. I was like, never going to get, cause I didn't have, you know, many cre- credits or anything like that. And then I was like, okay, fine. I would like, if I work in a school, I have the holidays. I can maybe go to Edinburgh in the holidays. Mm, right, and then, yeah. yeah, I just, I just happened. It just happened to be the only job I got. So yeah. what was your first, um, what job did you get then when you were moving to London? It's a teaching assistant job. It's where I still work now. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it was, I've literally just had, that's my only kind of proper job. It, I was with this agency. I got an interview. And then again, I thought I didn't want to work with children. I was like, I don't like, you know, when you're kind of, late teens and it's almost a certain brand of kind of trying to be cool by being cynical and being like I hate children mm, but yeah, I don't even know yeah. any children I don't hate children I just thought I think I just didn't want to be what everyone said that I would be <laughs> you know <laughs> didn't want people to go you're doing English you'll do teaching I was like well actually I'm specifically not going to do teaching because you said so yeah so I got I got a job I was agency for a year which was so stressful because you're getting paid like nothing so I was on like universal credit while working full time because I was earning really? so little wow. yeah and it was so it was very draining it was also lockdown so it was extremely difficult also I was working also I'd just moved to London yeah living in London it, bloody hell it was it was a really it was a really really stressful time because it was lockdown so everyone was stressed also you know there weren't really opportunities for making friends now I feel like I've got lots of friends in London people who I've known from uni and home who have moved to London but also friends I've just made while living here but then you know for the whole first year which was the end of 2020 and then 20 then the whole of 21 which was like the first time I lived in London there's not really any opportunity to kind of meet anyone do anything so I'd kind of just go to this job that was getting paid nothing for trying trying to get out of my overdraft while earning nothing like so I was paid weekly so if it was if um so holiday so school holidays for me at that point just meant I wasn't getting paid now it's like sick I've got a holiday and I'm salaried I get paid the same every month but then it was okay if I'm if it's the whole month like September I'll get 1200 pounds if there's a half term I'll get 900 pounds if it's Christmas or Easter I'm only gonna get 600 pounds which like you know that's how much your rent is and you've got to pay everything else so that was that was quite stressful and then um and then after a year I got hired by the school which meant I was then on like a much more decent salary and then last year I became an HLTA which means that which is a higher level TA and it basically just means that you can be used as kind of a cover teacher like a supply teacher and that's what I do now um which which I like it's it's a lot more varied because sometimes as a teaching assistant like it's nice but sometimes you're like I feel like I should be doing something there's a lot of just kind of sitting in the lesson and sometimes you can, it can feel a little bit um, repetitive in that sense. So I like that now I'm in a lot of different classes and also um, I get called upon like extremely last minute to cover, but I kind of like that spontaneity Yeah, yeah, yeah. because I just look at the plan and then I've just got to teach it. So I find it very kind of stimulating to be like, oh, what's this? Okay. Um, how am mm. I going to teach it? Think really quickly, look at the plan and then just go through the lesson um so i i quite like it um what's your favorite lesson to teach english <laughs> is that actually yeah i love english i mean that's See, why i did it for a degree your degree 
I just love I I just love English um and I think because it has always been my favorite subject and I did it obviously to degree I just I just know what the fundamentals need to be and also I know what if they do now will make secondary school easier in terms of understanding like the they're starting to learn you know the features of different things and kind of me knowing that they need to know how to link what the features are to what the purpose of the text is and just stuff like that um whereas maths because I haven't done any formal training as a teacher I'm kind of unsure of the kind of you do it you do it like concrete pictorial and then written that's how you learn maths so you have like things like counters to work with first in anything so you're kind of getting the idea of the concept of the numbers or if you're dividing you're sharing the counters out then you do it pictorially like you draw it and then you start further up the school you understand the concept of like how much the numbers the numbers are or what dividing actually looks like in terms of what's happening to the numbers then you do it numerically but you know obviously I don't remember doing that at school because you do it in like reception year one year two so you it's it it's not natural to know for me to know that that's how you need to start everything off because I don't remember when I did it that way. Do you? No, apart from like very no. foggy kind of memories, I guess of you know being in reception. Yeah. So um, in so in terms of that, because I haven't done any teacher training, I find that a little bit more difficult to teach because I don't want to teach it to them wrong. You know, I don't want to go like, well, here's the trick. You just cross off the zero and that's dividing it by 10 because that's not understanding what's happening. That's just a trick because I, I, I always have to be very different. I always have to really try to not just go, you just do it like this. Here's the trick. <laughs> but why can't not, you, you know- say that? Because I, I remember being taught that early on about dividing by 10 or timing by 10, take off zero out of zero. Well, it's okay for them to kind of, they all kind of notice that pattern, but you need to teach it like it's moving up a place value column or it's moving down a place value column and doing it that way. But yeah, I'm always, um, I'm place always value a little column. bit. Oh, is in like the thousands, hundreds, Ones. tens. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that actually. Mm. Yeah. So stuff like that, I find it. Um, I'm just always oh, slightly less sure of. That's kind of such a soulless way to teach it, though, isn't it? Like, not like that. Just makes it seem so much more complex than it really is. Well, it's just, but you'd be surprised how many children. It's called like what is it called? Number sense. Like, so a lot of children go. 9, 10, 11, 12, 30, 40, 50, and they're not actually saying 15. And then in their mind, 15 and 50 are interchangeable. And sometimes you'll um you will you'll do a maths problem with a child. You'll be using all the concrete resources so they can see that we've got like a lot of tents. We're doing like 24 and we're like plus 26. And they can see that there's lots of tens and there's lots of ones. And then they go, okay, it's 50. And they write 15. And then you're like, okay, so you really don't understand how much the numbers are. Because if you did, like you would know it can't be 15 because that only has one 10. And I've just looked at four tens and a load of ones. Yeah. So it's it's stuff like that that okay, I think yeah. is why oh, I why you're not supposed to do the tricks because otherwise <laughs> yeah. they'll be able to do it but they're like I don't know what this even is or what it actually means. I know. I think I'm just having the thing that everyone thinks that they know something. It's like, well, I know it. So surely it's easy. Just say, yeah, just do it like that. 
but yeah, forget that you have to go back to first principles. Yeah. Do you ever teach um, like other year groups, like younger ones or older ones? Yeah, um, I teach reception quite a lot. That is fun. That's something. So I worked in year two for two years, then year three for about half a year. And since then, for a year now, a year and a month, I've been kind of everywhere because I cover lessons all through the school. And when I'm not covering, I'm a TA in year four, five or six. But it's nice because now it's like I know absolutely every child in the school, which is nice, especially the mm. young ones, because they're like, Miss Edwards, like <laughs> every time they see you, because they, they're like, they just, you know, they think you're so fun because, um, you know, they're yeah. little. Um, My mum is a part time uh, TA in reception. So and I know yeah. she listens to this, so she'll enjoy hearing about this. Reception is very interesting. It's grown on me. Because when I was first in there, I was like, what is going on? Like, this is just playtime. This is a bit mad. Where are the books? Where's the mathematics <laughs> is, what I, is what I cried. <laughs> it's like they sit on the carpet. Also, this is the thing. It's like the, the plans. For, it's just interesting, kind of, the idea that, like, children need to play in order for their brains to develop as well. So the lessons are actually very short um, like the input, which is when you are talking to them, it really should only be about 20 minutes long because they're four years old. So they like it's it's a waste of time to talk at them for longer than that, because it's just they just can't. It's too long for them because they're four. So that's why you kind of um, in reception, you do a little lesson with them. You do like an English lesson in the morning and like the book that they were doing was Toys from Space. So. Um, then they had to kind of say like and it was it was about all these toys who and who get left outside so one of the toys tells a story about an alien who's stolen all the toys and then you kind of talk about that for a bit and then they need all they're gonna have to do is like write a sentence about their favorite toy and you do that (laughs) like individually like you you bring them over and while they're doing free flow which is where it will be like, okay, we've got Play-Doh over there. We've got, but it's all to do with the topic. So they were doing a few a few books to do with space and aliens and stuff. So then a lot of the kind of toys and stuff they've got are like to do with space. So they can do like pretend play like that they're in space. Um, a lot of the drawing will be like drawing things that are in space. So there's kind of a theme. And then you'll bring on oh, then there's all but there's also always Lego and there's always cars and there's always painting. Of course. And then you bring them over one one by one to get them to do their writing. Or if they're if they're not at writing yet, if they're not kind of at that level, then they'll kind of just draw something and try and write some sounds. Which I kind of thought was like and my friends who started working in reception have the same kind of thing where you're used to being in an older year and you're like, but this shouldn't they be like doing more stuff? But it's in early years, it's like, no, because they're not ready to do that yet. And apparently until you're seven, you learn in the same way. You actually learn through play. So that's actually the better way for children to learn. Like, um, because, you know, they're especially I think now children are so like on tablets and stuff. It's like at school, especially in, in nursery and reception, it's just time for them to just play with things and explore things and make friends for the first time and learn how to share 
and kind of figure out who they are as a person like what do they like doing what what things do they what stories do they like what what do they like to play with and stuff like that so it's um it's a lot of kind of their own development as a person and also kind of understanding the world like they're going like on a trip to a farm just so it can be like look animals like you might not have seen these you live in london <laughs> like this is a pig you know mm. that's really um, cool that you get to do because i mean that's almost like a whole different job from doing your job in like year four and i guess you have like more variety than a teacher would because i guess a teacher would be more like just do one year but you get to go between these like dramatically different lessons that is what I really like about it. The only thing that makes it hard is because I'm not in, when I'm a TA, I'm not, when I was a TA in year two, I knew exactly what we were doing in every lesson because I was in every lesson. Um, so I knew where we were, but I'll kind of come into a class and it's like, so you'd be like, it was like, so we're writing, um, oh, they're, they're all writing a, a summary of Crindle Cracks. And I was like, I was in the first lesson of, Crindle Cracks, which is like a 150 page book. And I was like, having to, I was like, can I just use your computer for a moment? And I was just reading the synopsis of Crindle Cracks. So it's like, I don't know what happens Isn't in this Isn't it obvious book. from the name? <laughs> I mean, come um, on, the name tells you all you need to know about what happens in that book. But I find myself, not, not in maths, but in English, sometimes I'm like, I, you know, I'm supposed to be helping a child, but I'm like, but I'm asking them like, so what's this book about? And I'm trying to ask in a way that I'm quizzing them, but really I'm like, no, 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 what is this book about? <laughs> Dude, what you gotta help me, book? bro. The teacher's right there, bro. You gotta help me. <laughs> <laughs> There's something weird about reception as well. Have you ever noticed that sometimes they're like two reception classes? Because sometimes I I, like sometimes yeah. like some schools that I've been to, there's like the reception class. And then often like there's this class that is like often just one person who's often sitting out in the hallway near the front door of the school, like behind a desk. And it's normally an adult. And I wonder whether that's like a special, like is it a remedial one maybe? I imagine that's someone who's probably been held back lots of times over the year. Have you ever, have you ever encountered that? No, and how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you really had me there for a second. You really had you me really, as well. I was like, really Jacob, no, there are two classes. You did as well, and I'm quite upset. <laughs> <laughs> I run the choir. The choir bangs. Um, yes, tell us about the choir. Yeah, we do choir and the songs available are all the songs that I like <laughs> and they will now also like. Mm. Um, we do Breaking Free from High School Musical. We do Unwritten by Natasha Beddingsfield. We do the theme tune from Arthur. We do the theme tune from Dawson's Creek <laughs> and they love it. Um, they go, They go. this is a very, today they were like, this is a very short song. And I went, yeah, it's really short. It's almost like, like a theme tune, maybe. But I, don't, I never tell them what the song is. They think I made the song up. Didn't didn't you also get them to do the something from the sack lunch? I can never say it. The sack lunch bunch, John Mulaney yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. I went to see John Mulaney last year. Oh, twice actually. It really broke the bank. I went to see it on the Wednesday, 
And then I loved it so much. I was like, if there are any tickets for the Friday, I'll go and see it again. So I spent about £170 total going to see John Mulaney twice in a week. And I was like, do you know who bangs? It's John Mulaney. And the children at school are about to know about it. <laughs> um, so we do, we do, well, I showed it to them. It's a little bit low at the start for them. I tried to make it upper key, but then it's a bit high. So I kind of thought, this was right before half term. I thought, this has been fun to show them, but I don't think this is really going to be a song we're going to be able to do a lot. It's like pretty wordy. It's hard to play on the piano and um, it's a bit low for them. I come back after half term. They've all gone away and learnt it um, and made actions. And they're like, can we please do plain plate and noodles? Can we please? I love plain plate and noodles. <laughs> and, um, and we went for a trip um, and we performed it at Wigmore Hall with all their actions that were so funny they're like intentionally funny they like they've like there were only 13 of them in the choir mostly kind of precocious girls from the same class who are all friends and are like we've all made up actions <laughs> it's, it's it's that kind of energy in the choir and then we did it and it was great we also do do flowers exist at night from the sack lunch bunch and i wish i could show it to them but there's the bit where he goes, he goes, I drew a stick figure of a lady with breasts and then he draws boobs. So I think I can't show them just because of that one bit. Um, but yeah, so, we, could, so did you get into, because you're a pretty good singer, aren't you? Have you, have you always I'm, like, I'm okay. yeah, have you always been a singer? Well, I, I was always in choirs, yeah. But you know what? It, it was until I was, it was only when I was about, um, four maybe 15 that I would ever sing in front of um my parents by myself I always had a weird thing about it I would sing in my room all the time I would not sing in front of my parents but I was in the choir in year four year four and maybe later on definitely in year four I think and maybe five and six I, there was a choir at my primary school on a Thursday lunch and I went to that and then in year seven, I was in the, year seven and eight, I was in the lower school choir. And then year nine, I was in chamber choir, which is all girls and senior choir. And then in year 10, I was in chamber choir, senior choir. And then in year 11 I w and 12, 13, I was in chamber choir and bats, which is bass, alto, tenor, soprano. And it was just one of my favorite things. It's one of my favorite things I did at school. Like I said, sometimes when like friendship things weren't going so well, I was like, I got choir. I got choir a lot actually. Yeah. Um so I always liked um yeah, so I always liked doing it. And um yeah, so that's why I thought I'd I'd run the choir just because I I know how much I liked being in a choir. Yeah. Um oh, that's really nice. It, it it was their first exposure to the word choir when it came up on the on the thing. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um on, they went, I'm gonna do chore, I think. And I said, I beg, I beg your pardon. And they said, You said it was miss, you said it was the singing one? was sure and i was like absolutely fair enough it says choir somehow yeah. we're coming on now to the final section of the podcast which as you will well know abby and if you're a regular listener is where we come up with a dream job for you how does that sound i'm extremely excited good so if you could right now magically do any job is there something you already have in mind that you think that's what it would be i um i've always i've always thought it would be fun to not to be anand but um to run 
to to run like a cafe that also that also that also could do comedy that I always thought that would be that would be cool me and my friends at um sixth form we used to say if we were gonna um quit if we were failing our degrees that there was this shop on the high street that was always closed and we'd buy it and we and we said that like every year we could turn it into a different thing, like a milkshake bar and a jazz club and then a comedy club and then all all different stuff. But then regrettably, um, I didn't fail my degree and now I have <laughs> um, now I have a job. I don't know. I do like surprise surprising to everyone and most of all me. I do actually really like working with children. They're just like nice people. I would love to write something. That's that's all I've ever really wanted to do is like write something, write a play write a book but i never i never sit down and do it do i so well, yeah what about um i'll just i'll float this idea and and maybe i'll put it down and maybe you'll pick it up you like working with kids you like writing plays why don't you write um plays for kids with kids in them and then you could direct them I did that um, last year. I wrote a version of A Christmas Carol and all the narration parts rhymed and it was my, it was my magnum opus, <laughs> but I spent quite, I spent a bit too long on it and they didn't have a lot of time to rehearse. <laughs> I think that actually like something that we could have um, looked into with, with Anand a bit more, um, episode four, go and listen to it if you haven't already, um, is if you want to do stand-up comedy, then it's not necessarily obvious that you would like to own and run a comedy club because that is something that does specifically appeal to some people who don't want to do stand-up themselves but really like the comedy scene, really like comedy, really like the skills that you need to run a business and da-da-da-da-da. And that's why it is really appealing to them to own a comedy club. Do you think you would actually enjoy that or do you think you would start to resent the fact that you were having stand-ups coming and performing. Say if you had like this cafe comedy club thing, uh, you'd kind of resent the fact that people were showing up and just doing their sets and leaving. You had to do all of the admin and the background stuff. Oh, you know what? That would annoy me. I'd be like, <laughs> this, is, this, is a, this is a stayer and a bringer. I don't care how famous you are. <laughs> you kind of be here at seven and leave at 11. <laughs> yeah, going back to your days on being president of comedy site. <laughs> well, because it's just, I loved, I loved booking it so much. And I yeah, think, yeah. What, so I, I used to run um, a night called Comedy Bunk Bird. And if I have a bit more time, I might try and run another night again because it just the venue was way up in Enfield it was just Mm. so it was not central enough for anyone really to come but I think they were it was a good show but yeah I like because you know obviously I know loads of comedians and I do like booking things I like being like oh they're good they're good they're good and like collating what I think is going to be a great show because I think everyone is really good but yeah I think that you're right Jacob that is more me wanting to run a comedy night rather than a comedy club where people are just coming in and out and it's not special for them. I need it to be special. Yeah, you probably want to be a bit more a bit more footloose and fancy free for want of a better term, don't you? Like you want to be able to go and like in whatever situation this is, you want to be able to do, you know, your fill of stand up yourself and have the freedom to do other things, but you don't necessarily want to have all that burden of organization and everything on you. Yeah. Maybe I'm currently in my dream job. Wow. I get to, get <laughs> oh, to that do would be lovely, wouldn't in it? spare time. Wow. <laughs> get to work with children and I get to do a bit of stand-up when, when the fancy takes me. 
Yeah, do you think... Okay, so here's here's a simple question. If you got, like, offered another job that you wanted to take, maybe, like, was better paid or something, but didn't involve working with children at all, how much of a factor would that be for you about whether you went to it? Would you be really sad that you weren't working with children or would you think, oh, that was a phase of my life, but now I'm ready to go and do something else? What is this job? Like what, well, what, 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 yeah, what kind that's a of good job question. is it? No, I mean, it's like, mm. it's like, so um, I could, I, I could never, ever, ever do a desk job. I know that for certain. And every time I've had to do anything on the computer for like a period of time, or can you get this training done? I just put it off. I just get so bored. And then I feel so trapped and antsy and drains. Like I feel so tired because I've just been like, just sat somewhere. Because I think if it was like, oh, you're going to work in events and you're going to organize comedy events, which is something that I do like. I definitely couldn't do it nine till five because it's essentially just admin on a computer. And I would just be so, so bad at that over a long period of time. Also today, one of the children literally said to me, I hope you never leave this school. Um, um, So I've been um, been guilted. (laughs) She was asking me... She was asking me about someone who used to work there. I was telling her what he does now. And she went, I, I hope I hope that you never leave, leave this school. Oh, no. And I was like, That's oh, so God. Lovely. Well, I think that whatever we're, whatever we're going to end up with, let's assume that in this scenario, you are doing stand-up enough that you can that you're at least earning like a living from doing it. So you're doing gigs. You're getting the opportunities that come with being, you know, at least fairly successful, doing gigs, da, 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 getting paid. You've got to that stage at least. But it sounds like that at alone... At least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but, but my point is, is that it sounds like that alone would obviously be great, but there would be some things missing. So there might be the the pleasure you get from, like, organising common nights and those kinds of things. That would be missing, maybe, because you wouldn't really be doing that. And also the working with children thing, so what if you were maybe like helping children with stand up or talk or talking to children about being a stand up or you know like you know people go into schools and talk about their jobs like you talk about what being a stand up is like and you have a little stand up workshop with children or something and you just do those kinds of things as well as the rest of the stuff you do. I would like that a lot. Yeah. I think you would. <laughs> I um, think they'll be I'll touching a lot it. of places. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, I think workshops would be good. Or if it was a club, if I was running a little club, Mm, it could not be, it could not be, it would have to be at the school I currently work at where I work. (laughs) It's just a lot of down to earth, real kids. None of these like posh kids. Um, no, you're not going into Eton, are you? Yeah. But even I don't, I don't. You want the inner city kids, don't you? Yeah. I like, I like the earth kids. I want, I like that. Those, those are the kids that I have. And I like those kids. When we were doing a quiet um, thing, we had my kids, my little ragtag group of kids doing all their silly actions to a song by John Mulaney. And then after them, it was just this like all girls school, all dressed exactly the same. Cause I know there's uniform, but you know, there's uniform and then there's, you're literally all wearing the exact same summer dress and you're all 
so pale and you're all so blonde and you're all <laughs> singing with harmonies and you're singing Matilda. Guess what? Three other schools just sang Matilda. <laughs> and, and I was I was sitting there being such a hater and all the kids that I'd brought were like, oh, Miss, aren't they so good? Wow, they sound so good. And I was so touched by the fact that they're not haters, but I was like, you guys were better. You guys had soul. It had heart. It had character. Mm. Yeah, who are yeah, these? Yeah. So I worry that it would be those kind of kids whose parents would enroll them in a stand-up club, and I would not do it. Well, I guess you could audition, couldn't you, to filter them out? Yeah, and <laughs> it's not about the... how funny they are. It's it's just completely vibe based. Do I like <laughs> you? Because I know what, I know what you're describing is a bit. Uh, also, what I know what I'm describing is a bit kind of all over the place but the reason why i am is because i think that from what we've heard so far it would be better for you if you weren't like tied to a specific location like you had a particular premise you know like the fact that you enjoy going and teaching a class in year four um reception and doing those things and having to do things at short notice and enjoying that what i'm getting is that it would be good if you had if you were you know because a lot of comedians wear multiple hats don't they like, there aren't that many comedians who just do gigs and they don't do anything else. Like, they do a lot of other things as well. And I'm imagining that what we're talking about here is what are those other hats? Yes. Yeah, I would like to teach the kids, do do comedy with the kids. It will make no sense. The best kind. But we can say as part of the dream job that it's at your it's at this school. You go, You can go back there and do a club. Yeah, I can go back there. I can go other places, but I will also go back there. And- oh, yeah, and you can do what you like. Yeah, but- the, the chief vibe inspector for the kids <laughs> coming in. <laughs> How common is it, I guess, for, for comedians to themselves organise comedy nights? Because obviously there are lots of comedy promoters who are not comedians. I feel like it's not very common, to be honest. Um, well, then, you know, that's something that you could break into is your, your part comedian part you on nights well i think people put on the occasional night when it will be this comedian and friends i think sometimes that's something that they've organized but i think by and large from what i understand from speaking to our friend sharon wanjohi it's very much like the bookers and the agents they're sorting out the stuff they're sorting out everything and then you will be contacted do you want this gig but you know at this at the level i'm at most gigs that i do are organized by other comedians a lot of the gigs I do are like just a lot of comedians just run their own night like Marty Gleason does like Wheel of Death there are a lot there are lots of other ones I can't I can't think of um Imogen Trussell does like Wendy's House like and they run like their own night but I think I think a lot of comedians at kind of my level it's like if you don't have an agent you're running nights to liaison kind of yeah, yeah network yeah. with other comedians through running your own night but say if you were, if it was just the, oh, uh, I become a, you know, a comedian who makes a living off doing comedy, would you then feel like you regretted that it wasn't like that anymore for you? And is that something you'd want to preserve at least or have the option to preserve into, you know, into being a bit more successful? Because I'm sort of imagining that in this scenario, you're taking on maybe fewer gigs than the average professional comedian would be in order to make time for these other things i mean not like many fewer but just like a bit less you got time to do the stuff with the kids and the other stuff i think that actually would be my dream because i I get i get very sleepy um so (laughs) 
don't want to be don't want to be up every night yeah that would be lovely and yeah also um yeah with the kind of book and thing like something that i've heard people say is that when they're kind of becoming successful in comedy obviously they're making friends but like whereas they used to always gig with their really close friends now they're not gigging so much with their really close friends now they now now it's more like these comedians are my colleagues and i get on with them but you're not gigging with everyone from comedy society anymore kind of thing yeah I know what you mean about like how fun it is to book, you know, because obviously we, for the podcast, so I don't know about you, Jordan, but I get like, even if it's someone who I, no one knows except us, because we're, they're a friend of ours. I get really excited just thinking we're going to have this person on and they're going to be on in this slot and they'll be next to this other person and yeah, they're yeah. going to be really contrasting and that's going to be cool. Um, and then when we've recorded it thinking all these are really good bits and there are going to be people I know who haven't met this person that I also know and this is how they're gonna first hear about them and you know just things like that I find that really exciting for this so I can I can completely see how that would apply to putting on a comedy night as well planning is fun planning stuff is fun except lessons that's why I'm not a teacher <laughs> <laughs> well I think um yeah, I think we, we I, th- I mean you're, you're being very like modest about this you're sort of you know you're not saying oh I want this and I want this you know you're just like I think that what we've sort of talked about seems like it's you're happy with it but is there anything else my dream it seems (laughs) like your dream job it seems my dream job if you could throw in I like doing art with the kids bit of art bit of singing maybe I could come in and just be general I'm doing an arts workshop. We'll do a bit of stand-up. We'll do a bit of art. We'll do a bit of dancing. Oh, I also do dance with the children. Do a bit of drama, a bit of dance. All those wishy-washy Do you just want to be a drama teacher? I know. You know what? (laughs) (laughs) That was how this ended. (laughs) I just want to be a drama teacher. I've I've never... Do you know what? I think a lot of people are surprised to hear that I didn't do drama GCSE because I think everything I've done, it seems like... I would have done drama GCSE. Didn't scared of acting. Well, I don't know if acting. you would have liked the kids that did drama from what you've told us. Yeah. Annoying. Oh, I? because I don't like those quiet kids. You might have Maybe turned not. into one of them if you'd done drama. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think what we've arrived at is you're going to be a professional stand-up comedian, but maybe like half to three quarters what the normal full-time like equivalent would be for a comedian. And you use the rest of the time for running a comedy and general arts and singing and all, kind of whatever you want kind of workshop. Definitely at the school you currently work in. And also uh, you retain the kind of, I guess, lower level practice of organising the odd night yourself um, for other comedians from time to time. And those three things make up you know basically full-time but then you've also got i guess enough income leisure to be able to have a few nights off and sleep and that kind of thing i think that's what we've arrived at does that sound like a dream job it sounds like my absolute dream job jacob and i shall get up and do it tomorrow <laughs> shake, shake our hands, bloody hands abby shake yes, shake shake thank you yes there you go well thank you abby i hope you've enjoyed it i've had such a lovely time it's been lovely speaking to you take care of yourself and um, we'll speak to you very soon hey teacher leave them kids alone 
You know that one, they're... Jacob? Yeah, I think we might have to bleep that for copyright reasons. Because <laughs> it was a perfect rendition. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that that was lovely. That was lovely. I, I really... I really like the wholesome ones, the the lovely ones, the the nice dreams. They are they are all lovely in the end, but it's nice that Abby could take what she already does, which she loves, and just enhance it. Yeah, very sweet, very sweet episode. I'll tell you what else would be sweet as well is um, if you could give the socials a follow, and if you could please like and rate the podcast on your listening platform. We've also we've got a youtube channel now so um we've got shorts on there um and i'm wearing shorts right now which is mad so that that wheels within wheels yeah that must that must that's got to be something isn't it so yeah check out the youtube channel we'll be posting um all of our clips and all of our little shorts from the episodes on there we might even post full episodes on there in due course yeah We've got a link tree set up now. So if you want to get in contact with us, um, if you'd like to be on the podcast or if you know someone who has an interesting career and you think would be good to chat to us, let us know. Jacob, when is the next episode coming out for our listeners? Well, episode 15, the big one five, is coming out on the 18th of March. Yeah, not, not long to go now. Until I quit, so uh, better, better get your uh, better get your listens in now before this all goes up in flames, eh? Oh yeah, when are you, when are you quitting again? Oh, I won't tell you. Okay. But it's going to be abrupt, and it's going to be it's going to be messy. It's gonna it, it, I'm going to drag you through the courts, and it's going to be ugly. So get ready for that. Lawyer up, buddy. <laughs> <laughs>